to kind of give some backing to what, what I was saying earlier, I want to read a couple things from the beginning of Acts and the last part of Acts. A lot of times when we think of the book of Acts, we think of miracles, right? We think of the cool stuff that happened. But, you know, the book of Acts is about God establishing and expanding his church. And I believe that God wants to do that in Lloydminster in Canada. He wants to establish his church. And establish means to give it, give it footing, you know, to, to make it strong so that when storms come, it doesn't blow over. So that when attacks come, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, disintegrate. You know, that God wants to establish his church so that it's got roots, so that it's, it's going to be strong in the day of trouble and it's going to be advancing in a day of opportunity and vice versa. And God wants to make it, uh, so not only establish it, but he wants to expand his church. He wants the church to fill. He wants, because the Bible says that the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything and is in everything. So the church, you and me, us, we are God's means of filling the earth with his presence. That's an important task. And so the gospel's got to be preached. The gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached, he said. It's got to be proclaimed. That word to preach doesn't mean that you go line by line in, in, in 50 different points and explain it fully. There's a time for that. But the word to preach, which is the first thing that has to happen, is, is, is simply to proclaim something. It's something you do when you have good news and it has to be spread. And so this gospel must be preached, he said. To the ends of the earth. And I want to I read something from Acts chapter 1. Right before Jesus left the earth and, and ascended to heaven. It says in verse 1. The first account I composed Theophilus. But all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he presented himself alive after his suffering. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. You see that? For 40 days, Jesus kept proving he was alive to them. Many convincing proofs. Guys, how many convincing proofs do we need? Apparently they needed many. And for 40 days, he keeps showing up at weird times. One time he just shows up in the room, just seemed to have walked through the wall, and he's there. Another time he uh, is on the shore making them lunch, making them breakfast, just a fish breakfast. Very Nordic, right? You know, that's loot, fisk, and strawberries or something. I don't know. Nice. He's not doing that. He's cooking it like, like people should. And... <laughs> And here he is appearing to them, but he's not just showing off. He's not just doing magic tricks. Now, first and foremost, he's not a ghost, right? He says, touch my hands, feel my holes in my hands, feel the holes in my feet. He, he's breaking bread with them. He's eating with them. And the, the food isn't just passing through him like a specter. It's, he's, he's eating. He's drinking. He's letting them touch him. He's touching them. And for 40 days, he's doing this. And then the Bible says he's not just showing up, proving himself. He's teaching them things concerning the kingdom. Now, let me ask you something. If Jesus has spent three years of his ministry talking about the kingdom, sending them out in the name of Jesus, in, in, in the authority of his kingdom, if he's been doing that for three years, why now, for 40 days, does he still need to keep talking about the kingdom? I think the first answer and the obvious answer would be, as much as we think we know, we can always know more. 
But I think really important is, and you're about to see it, he is getting them ready for the Holy Spirit to fill the church. And the Holy Spirit is the key factor of the spreading and the establishing of the kingdom of God through his church. So here he is getting them ready, and he says he's teaching them for 40 days and speaking about things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the, what the Father had promised, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it this, at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? So this whole time, he's been talking about a kingdom that they can't see. And what are they looking for? The kingdom that I can see. Yeah. Right? He's talking about something bigger. They're just looking for the kingdom restored to Israel. Now, Jesus doesn't say that's not happening. He's just saying, you don't know when that's going to happen. And that's not what I'm talking about right now. He said, it's not for you to know that. Or the times of the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, listen to this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And even to the remotest part of the earth. This isn't Jesus changing the subject. This isn't Jesus saying, let's get back on topic. This is Jesus answering their question, but showing them what they should be looking for. What they're looking for is a king to knock down everybody else, kick the Romans out, and reestablish an earthly kingdom. What he's talking about is a spiritual kingdom that's going to first come by the Holy Spirit. There will be a day when Jesus' kingdom comes to this earth in fullness. We know that. It's a new heaven and a new earth. We know that, that when that time comes, you'll know it. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The scripture talks about that kingdom that's to come. But Jesus is telling them about the kingdom that is with them right now. And that they're going to experience fullness when the Holy Spirit comes. Now they're ready. Now they're ready to spread this kingdom. Now they're ready to see this kingdom in action. If you, we're not going to do it today, but if you were to skip to the book of, to the end of the book of Acts, the last thing that happens in the book of Acts is Paul's in Rome and he's about to go, go to trial in front of the emperor. Now, he's in Rome and, and like, like it is and sometimes in our justice system, you don't always get a speedy trial or the, the appeals take a long time. And so Paul is... Uh, you know, they don't have habeas corpus. They don't have a, you know, a right to a speedy trial. So while Paul's waiting for trial, he's there for quite a long time in Rome. But he's getting his affairs in order. He's getting everything done. And he actually invites the Jewish leaders of Rome to come visit him. Now, he's on house arrest, so he can't go visit them. He's got to have them come. And they come in large numbers to his house to hear about the way. To hear about this. And the scripture says that when he's there in the house and they've brought all these major Jewish players, one of the things they say to him is they go, we, we, we want to hear from you about this sect of, of Judaism that you're talking about because we've heard some really bad things. And we want to hear what you have to say. So he invites them to, his to this house that he's staying in, packs the room out, packs the house out, and it says he keeps convincing them and he keeps persuading them about the kingdom of God and about Jesus Christ. About the kingdom of God and about Jesus Christ. 
And he goes back through, the, through Moses, through the law, through the prophets, and he's persuading them about the kingdom of God. What does this tell you? This tells you that Jesus is found even in, in all those scriptures, and the kingdom of God is found in all those scriptures. Moving forward. So he keeps persuading them. Some of them believe, but a lot of them don't. Their hearts aren't ready. So what does he do? He turns to the Gentiles, and he has a bunch of other people come to his house. And it says for the rest of his life, he's in that house under house arrest, teaching people about the kingdom of God and about Jesus Christ. You better believe the first thing you say to somebody and the last thing you say before you die are probably the most important things you'll ever say. When you have people come to your house and say, I've got to pour something out. I've got to, I've got to pull something. You know, pour something into you. I've got to, I've got to release some things to you. When, when that's what's happening before you die, that's probably very, very important. And what he's spending his time talking about is the same thing that Jesus was talking about. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. If I could tell you nothing else, you need to know this. Now I want to skip to Acts chapter 8. And what we really want to talk about, because watch. The kingdom of God is not always received. It's not always received and it's not always recognized. So when Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom, what were they looking for? Something else. When Paul was teaching the kingdom, what were the Jews looking for? Something else. And what I want to impart to you this morning is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is the real thing. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that's going to be standing at the end of the day and we've got to make up our minds right now that we're never going to fall for an imposter. We're never going to fall for the fake. We're never going to, to pursue something that's not the kingdom of God. I believe this to my core that when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, he's saying, invest, invest, invest in the kingdom. Make your life about the kingdom of God. Don't make your life about getting, you know, that retirement fund. Don't get, make your life about getting recognition. Don't make your life about anything else but the kingdom of God. Invest everything into the kingdom of God because that's the only kingdom that's going to remain standing at the end of the day. The Bible says in Revelation that the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. There's going to be a point where every kingdom is, is demolished and folded into the kingdom of God. Daniel saw visions one, one vision, actually, the king saw of a statue, and the statue had a, had a head of gold, and, and it, had, it had a body and a torso, and it had feet, all made of different substances. And when the king said, Daniel, what does this mean? Daniel went through it, and he had, God gave him the interpretation. He said, you're the head of gold. The Babylonian Empire is the head of gold. He said, the Medes and the Persians are the next section. Then he talks about Rome, which hasn't come yet. The Medes and Persians hadn't invaded yet. The Romans hadn't come yet. And he says, then there'll be a kingdom that demolishes all of these kingdoms. And that's the kingdom of God. God knew all of history. Are any of you scared of the Romans now? Any of you like, oh, shh, those Roman soldiers, don't tick them off. No, nobody's scared of the Italians. Nobody. God bless the Italians. I love their food, but nobody's shaking in their boots that the Italian army's coming. Nobody cares. And if you're Italian, I forgive me. I'm, nobody's scared of the Can Canadian army either. <laughs> Empires fall, but the kingdom of God endures forever. So what's worth investing in? 
See, the, the disciples were saying, but what about our kingdom? What about this? What about this right now? And he's saying there's something bigger. And I want to show you in Acts chapter 8 when Philip went to Samaria. Philip went to Samaria, and this is what it says. Philip didn't even mean to go to Samaria. He just went to run away from the persecution in Jerusalem. It's funny how God will turn something good out of something, just total chaos. It says, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. This is Acts 8, chapter, verse 4. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. What are they paying attention to? They're hearing and they're seeing the signs, right? So this is drawing them. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. That, that, that would have to testify to your city. When you know people that have been paralyzed and lame and they can suddenly walk and they're suddenly moving around, you can't just say, well, maybe it was real and maybe it wasn't. Like, that's, that's genuine. There's no way you can deny that. So they, this, many were being healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and he was astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. What's interesting is, Philip's not the first guy to come to town and do miracles. Or at least something, signs that they couldn't explain. Simon's doing it too, but it's not from God. And it says, it says they were giving him their attention. Remember, we just read that Philip got their attention. Right? But it says these guys gave other people their attention too. They had already given their attention to a dude named Simon. And they said, this is the great power of God. And Simon didn't say, no, me, not me. He said, yeah, that's me. Put that on my business card. The great power of God. The great, the great Simone. This is me. You know, I'm the guy. It says, and they all from smallest to greatest were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what's called the great power of God. And they were given attention because he had for a long time astonished him with his magic, astonished them with his magic arts. An art, an art is something that you perfect. An art is something that you're crafting. You see, this man had learned how to replicate some things. He had, he had perfected his art so that they would say, wow, this is a great power of God. But this isn't the real power. This is an imposter. And for everything that God does, there's an imposter. For every good thing that God does, there's an imposter. There's a counterfeit. There's something trying. And what's the goal of the counterfeit? The goal of the counterfeit is, is, is more than one thing. Number one, it's to steal your attention away from what God's doing. And number two, when you find out that the counterfeit is counterfeit, what does it do? It makes you not want to have anything to do with the counterfeit or the real. First time some wacky person comes on the scene and, 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 and claims to do something by God and they're wacky and you know they're wacky. They're flaky and you know they're flaky. And they're doing these things and people are following them and you go, that's not from God. And then eventually it's shown not to be from God. You know, so many Christians turn away from the things of God because of a fake they saw over there. That's right. 
And if that's the case, the enemy has gotten his way. Because what he wants to do is get you to turn your eyes off Jesus, turn your eyes off God, turn to the counterfeit. But even better than turning to the counterfeit is getting you to turn away from the real thing. That's what's happened. They've been giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. Now listen to this. This is where it gets cool. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news, the gospel, about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. Watch this. It starts out by saying Philip got their attention, but Simon had gotten their attention too. Right? Philip got their attention, but getting somebody's attention is not the whole deal. God will get people's attention, but that's not where the real, that's not everything. You know, the, getting people's attention is easy. The world can get people's attention. Simon got their attention, but Phil, Philip got their attention, but Simon had already had their attention. It says, but when Philip began to preach the news about Christ and the kingdom of God, then they were being baptized. What are we seeing? That, that, that decision to be baptized was a lot more than saying, you have my attention. It was saying, you have my life. It was a lot more than saying, I'm, I'm, I'm watching you now. It was saying, now I am ready to turn from darkness, to turn from idols, and to turn to a living God. You see, the devil can get people's attention just, just, just fine, but only God can change a life. Only God can bring someone back from the dead. And I want you to know that it's very easy for us to be distracted by things that steal our attention. But watch, it's the gospel of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ that centers us back again and says, here's what we're here for. When you focus on the kingdom of God, every distraction, everything that steals the attention, everything that's going to draw your eye away, you have to remind yourself, is this, is this of the kingdom? Is this furthering the kingdom? Is this for the kingdom? Is this by the kingdom? What am I doing? Is, am I being distracted or is this part of what God's doing in my city? Is this what God's doing in my life? Philip had their attention. Simon had their attention. But when Philip began to preach... When he began to preach about the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God, then many were being baptized. Even Simon got baptized. And he continued on with Philip, and he observed signs and great miracles taking place, and he was constantly amazed. We find out later that Simon might have had ulterior motives. I don't know how to judge Simon because God doesn't tell us everything that's in his heart, but it does, Peter does read his mail pretty good. Simon tries to buy the gift of the Spirit from Peter. Why? Simon's already been doing signs and wonders. Why does he want the Holy Spirit? What's different about the Holy Spirit? There's a real power here. There's an authority here. Demons are leaving. Lives are changing. This is more than just flash and thunder. This is real. We said, I said this you know, months ago, but I'll say it again. We have got to move from this, this, this uh, idea of the gospel where you say, how can I believe that? To, to, to realizing that God wants to bring you to a place where you're no longer saying, how can I believe this? But you're saying, how could I deny it? How could I ever deny this? For I have experienced the life of God in me. 
It's that life-changing power of God. Signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. Signs and wonders follow the, te the teaching of the kingdom. But there's something even more at work. And that's lives being changed. That's bondage being broken over someone. Simon could never break the power of the enemy over someone. In fact, he only further enforced it. He tried to buy it. And he said, Peter, can I, can I buy this? Simon went to Simon and said, can, let's, let's work out a Simon deal here. Simon to Simon, can I make you a deal? Can I buy this gift? And Peter says, well, let me read you what Peter says. He says, give me this authority as well, that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourself, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. What's interesting is that Simon still doesn't get it. He still doesn't, he still doesn't want God. He just says, don't, don't let that stuff happen to me. I think a lot of Christians are concerned about counterfeit. A lot of Christians are concerned, you know, about proving that God is somehow different than everything else, that Jesus is different than all the other religions in the world. And I want to tell you something. You don't have to prove that. You don't have to make that happen. That's, that's real. That's, you know, when everything is shaken, there's only one thing that's going to be unshaken. It's the kingdom of God. The imposters will fall. The fake will fade away. Does it mean that we never speak up? No, there's, there's times Paul says, you know, you don't fall, don't pay attention to this, don't look at this, that's not right. There's a time for correction, there's a time for realignment, but I want to tell you, don't worry about the fake, don't worry about the imposters, for the kingdom of God will stand on its own. And there's something I want to read to you that, that Paul said to Timothy. And would you turn there with me? in your Bibles, because I want you to see it for yourself. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, you've got the real thing, guys. You've got the real thing. Wasn't there he was like a Pepsi commercial that used to say that? You got the real thing, baby. You got the right one, baby. That's it. That's what it was. But there was another one that was can't beat the real thing. I don't know what that was. That's Coke. Wow. It's interesting, isn't it? Coke and Pepsi are trying to, is, is, that the world is, is caught on to the idea that there's, there's a real thing, there's a right thing. But they're trying to sell it to you just like Simon was trying to buy it. The world's looking for real. They're looking for the authentic. I don't want you to turn there, but I want to remind you of what happened. One of the greatest triggers for revival in Ephesus was actually somebody trying to replicate the power of God and failing miserably. We think that our enemies are our enemies, but guys, they're not. At the end of the day, the imposters and the fakes will only further the kingdom of God when they're shown to be fakes and imposters. In the book of Acts, Paul 
says extraordinary miracles were taking place through his, through his hands and through his ministry. And it says demons were coming out of people even when a handkerchief he'd used touched them. That, that was how dramatic this was in Ephesus. And Ephesus needed, Ephesus needed deliverance. It was demonically controlled. It was, it was a city steeped in, in witchcraft and sorcery. So they needed something powerful. And the Bible tells us that there were seven sons of a Jewish priest named Sceva, who came and tried to do this work and tried to replicate what Paul did. It says there were seven Jewish exorcists. So uh, I believe that, that they had combined what they had from Judaism and they had tried to combine it to some of the things they'd learned amongst the Gentiles. And, and so they were trying, uh, trying to do this. They'd set up shop. And there was a man who was possessed by spirits and they went to his house and they, and they said, you know, we hear that uh, evil spirits are going out at the name of Jesus that this Paul guy is preaching. So they go and they try to use that name. They say, I adjure you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Come out of this man. And the Bible tells us that the evil spirit within the man said, Paul I know and Jesus I know, or Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And when they said, who are you? He stripped him naked and beat him up and kicked him out of his house. Seven guys got beat up by one guy. And, 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 and the funniest thing is the verse that comes after. It says, so that, you know, the name of Jesus was being magnified in the city. Like, what? <laughs> so the name of the Lord was being magnified and people were coming. And I'm trying to do the math. This seems like a great tragedy. It's embarrassing. To get, it's enough to get beat up. It's pretty bad when you get stripped naked and beat up. That's no fun. <laughs> Why is the name of Jesus being magnified? Because the city is seeing this is different. This is different. There's a lot of fake in Canada. There's a lot of hunger for the supernatural, for, for spiritual meaning, for, for significance beyond what we can see. Isn't that right? Whether someone's calling out to the universe or they're using crystals or whatever nonsense, their people are looking for something. Sometimes you see Christians try to replicate what the world is doing and saying this is a Christian spin, which I think is really lame because those things are just a counterfeit of what Jesus is doing. All we got to do is go back to what Jesus said to do. That's where the power is. Now, I don't mind if someone, a worldly person who's trying to describe what God is doing uses the language they understand. I get that. But let me tell you something. What we have is so much bigger, so much more real. And so the name of Jesus was magnified when the counterfeit failed miserably. Because it was shown to be different. I want you to read what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He starts out by saying that difficult times will come in the last days, that people are going to turn away from God. They're going to turn to, they're going to love all the wrong things and they're going to forget all the right love. And it says, in verse 6, among those are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. That's what was happening. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress. For their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jonas and Jambres' folly was also. 
Now you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. What does it say? Evil men and imposters imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, what do you do about that? You continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that the child, from childhood you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He says, don't worry about the fakes. Don't worry about the imposters. Don't worry about the counterfeits. You stay hooked in to what you've received from God. You stay hooked in to the word of God. You stay hooked in to what God has planted in you. And he says, those guys are going to fail like Jonas and Jambres has failed. If those names are weird and unfamiliar to you, then I've got a story for you. These guys show up in the book of Exodus. Jonas and Jambres were Egyptian magicians. And every time Moses would come to Pharaoh's court and do a miracle, they had a counterfeit one. Which is really annoying. God. God, I, I thought I had the miracles. God, I thought this was going to do it. Moses, when he's in the wilderness, God says, you want, you want me to show you that I want, you want me to give you a preview? Moses is like, yeah, please. Throw down your stick. He throws down his staff. Turns into a snake. <gasps> now pick it up. No. Yeah, pick it up. No. Pick it up by its tail. Okay. Oh, it turns back into a staff again. Oh, that's really cool. He says, but God, I can't do that. You're going to have to give me help. I, I'm a terrible speaker. I'm, I'm frightened. I'm intimidated. So God says, okay, I'm going to send your brother with you. Your brother will do the talking. You just show up. <laughs> Bible says that they go to the elders of Israel, and God lets them do a sneak preview of the, of the, of the miracles to the elders. And it says, the elders see it and go, wow, we believe. Sure, you, you got it. Can you imagine how pumped up you'd be? In the wilderness, God showed you a miracle, and you're like, I'd believe after this. You show up to the elders of Israel. They see it. And they're like, we believe. And then he shows up at Pharaoh's court. He shows up at Pharaoh's court. He says, watch this. This is to show you that Jehovah is the true God. He throws his staff down. And it turns into a snake. And he stands back waiting for Pharaoh to go, oh my goodness. There's two Pudgy Egyptian posers. <laughs> Bible doesn't say they're pudgy. But I see them in my head that way because I think they were that way in the picture Bible. <laughs> the authorized 1511 picture Bible. <sighs> Let me read you in Exodus chapter 7 verse 11. It says... Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did just as the Lord Yahweh had commanded. Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. 
Then Pharaoh called for the wise men and the sorcerers and also the magicians of Egypt. And they did the same with their secret arts. For each one of them threw down his staff and turned into serpents. Now can you imagine the deflating at that moment? What? What? This was our ace up the sleeve. This is what we had. I mean, it's like when you go to a talent show and someone's singing the same song as you or doing the same magic trick, you know? I mean, this is a real, this is a miracle. But these guys knew how to do an imposter trick, knew how to do a counterfeit trick. Isn't that weird? Satan already had a counterfeit ready. What are the odds? What are the odds that they already have a stick turning into a snake trick up their sleeve? (laughs) The devil was ready. But watch this. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. (laughs) You guys ever seen a snake eat a snake? Have you seen a snake eat a snake, Hunter? On a video video once. (laughs) Have you seen a snake eat several snakes in one sitting? That's pretty weird, huh? You see, I think they could have felt really intimidated the first time there was a counterfeit. Not only that, but if you keep reading, these guys keep doing counterfeits. But at the end of the day, they don't win that battle. At the end of the day, God's God's serpents are always going to, if I can just use this, God's serpents will always swallow the enemy's counterfeits. At the end of Daniel's vision, the kingdom of God destroys all the other kingdoms. At the end of the book of Revelation, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. At the end of the day, Paul says to Timothy, don't worry about those guys for their folly will be evident to all. You stand back and do what God called you to do. Stop being distracted. That's what I want to leave you with today. Don't be distracted by counterfeit Versions of the kingdom of God. Don't be distracted by a politician who claims, I've got the answer, and it lies outside of God. Doesn't mean you don't vote. Doesn't mean you're not active. But don't put your trust in that. Don't put your trust in a new job that's got the best paycheck and and the best benefits, and this is what's going to get our family out of debt. No, it's God that will get your family out of debt. And God can use that job if he wants, but that job is not your salvation. Don't be intimidated by someone preaching a false gospel. Don't be intimidated by someone saying, well, we can do that too. Don't be intimidated. Just stay plugged in to what God has given you. Preach the kingdom. Preach Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. Stay Plugged into what you've received. Stay plugged into the words you've been given. Stay plugged into the people God connected you to. And watch the power of God at work. Because at the end of the day, the God's, God's things, what God is doing, will be standing when everything else has fallen down. Everything else is going to become apparent. David cried out to God in frustration. He said, God, actually it's not David, sorry, it was another psalmist. This other psalmist said to God, He said, God, why is it that the wicked are prospering? Why is it that they're doing so well and I'm not doing well at all? 
I mean, this is the same book that tells you that the one who delights in the Lord will prosper in everything that he does. That the one who meditates in the word of God, everything he do, does, everything he puts his hand to will prosper. That's in the Psalms too. So he's like, why isn't this happening? Why is it that the wicked are doing so well? You said the wicked would crumble. You said the wicked would fall. And yet their business is doing better. Mine is crumbling and theirs are doing well. Why is this happening? And he says, if I had opened my mouth at that time, if I had just started blabbing to everybody what I was feeling, he said, I would have betrayed a whole generation. But instead, I went to the sanctuary of God. And then I saw their end. Surely you've set them on a slippery place, God. And I want you to know that every plan of the enemy is a slippery plan that will fall and will fail. And it's only what God does that will remain. So invest, invest, invest in the eternal and don't be distracted by the shiny temporary. God will use the temporary. God will use the seen things. God, God's in everything. God's in every area. So God will use the... Uh, you know, God will use the, the temporary things just as much as, 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 as he did in the, in the book of, uh, you know, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. He's not afraid to use temporary things, but that's not where our hope lasts. It's not where our hope lies, rather. When Jesus did the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, he had a whole group of people after they were fed. They followed him and said, we want to make you king. He said, you want to make me king because I fed you. He said, but you should seek for the bread that doesn't perish. In other words, what I fed you will go away. You'll be hungry again. But I've got bread you don't know about that's going to feed you for life. I've got bread that you don't know about that's going to sustain you. So quit wasting your time chasing the bread that molds and begin to invest in the bread that doesn't perish. Today we're a church. God's done so much already today. And I don't want us just to hear this from his heart. Because some people are, are discouraged that it seems like there's opposition. It seems like, you know, we saw this and we saw that, and yet people still don't believe. And, and then there's this and there's that. And you're letting your eyes drift off of God. You're letting your eyes drift off of his kingdom. I want you to go back. And go back to what you started with. Go back to that very foundation of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And I want you to know that when you invest in that, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The imposters, the fakes, the counterfeits, they'll all fall. But it's only this that will remain forever. I believe God wants to do miracles. I believe he wants to do signs and wonders. I also believe the enemy wants to pretend to do the same things. But at the end of the day, it's only what God does that'll last. And just like, just going back to that point as we close, Philip says he had people's attention because of the miracles. But Simon had their attention too because of his signs and wonders. But it was when Philip began to preach the gospel, he began to preach the kingdom in the name of Jesus. He had more than their attention, he had their hearts. God wants to get people's attention, guys. Don't get me wrong. God is going to get people's attention. But he wants more than that. He wants their hearts. He wants their lives. There's a lot of things that can steal our attention. 
But I believe we're going to see people change. We're going to see people turn to God. We're going to see lives turn back to him. We're going to see people not just become spectators, but disciples of Jesus Christ. I believe, and this is my prayer, that we would be, we, like I've said so many times, that we wouldn't be able to keep enough water in that baptismal tank. Right? Let's get lots of them. Why not? If we have to get a pool, let's get a pool. But let's believe for Lloyd Minster. God's going to show us himself strong. He's going to do what they prayed in Acts 4. He's going to show off. He's going to show out. He's going to prove he is who he is. But at the end of the day, it's not just going to be getting people's attention. It's going to be getting people's lives. So don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. And don't be distracted. For the kingdom of God is meant to be established and extended in every one of your lives. And it's the kingdom of God that at the end of the day will still be standing. So will you stand with me and let's pray.